I'm Glenn Crooks, and this is On Frame. Today, we welcome in Jeff Reuter. He's a beat reporter for Minnesota United. That'll be the next opponent for New York City FC. City in their quest for victory number one on the season, and they'll have to do it while helping the Loons christen their new Allianz Field. The environment's going to be electric. And we're going to hear all about that new stadium from Jeff in a moment. First, the post-game locker room after City played to a scoreless draw with the Montreal Impact on Saturday, coming off the disastrous 4-0 loss in Toronto the week before. The Impact, they rarely showed a desire to venture close to the City goal. And then after losing Maxi Arruti to a red card in the 70th minute, the defensive block was even deeper. While deepening the frustration for the Pigeons, who were desperate for a win. They're now winless in five to start the season, shut out in three of those games. Here's Captain Alex Ring describing the difficulties on the attacking side. Teams play on counter-attack and um, build two blocks. It's hard to find space for us, um, but nevertheless, we have to do a better job job in the final third, creating, creating opportunities because I think we control the game the midfield in the back four I think they didn't have much today it's about uh, as a team just being more more consequent in the last third and yeah creating something you know Other, that's how you win the games you have to score goals yeah the, like I said the decision making in the final third um, house creating opportunities being more courageous you know taking on one-on-ones or taking the shot um, in the, at the moment, we're making the wrong decisions in the final third, and that's why um, we're not getting enough opportunities at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't uh, put it down to not not putting in the effort, and that's what that's what pisses you off after the match the most. Uh, you give it all, you put it, you show a reaction after a shitty game in Toronto, and uh, you still sit here with one point. Nevertheless. Um, like I said, uh, it was a good reaction from Toronto, but if you want to win games, we have to we have to score goals. It's that simple. The new striker, Eber, was unveiled as a second-half substitute, and Ring said the Brazilian looked the part, managing a team-high three shots on goal in his 27 minutes. He's a true number nine. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's difficult when, when you don't have that type of player. He... He draws a different attention to himself, you know, uh, the centre-backs will think twice about coming out on, on the midfield um, to press if you have a true, true number nine like that who, who stays up in the position, who keeps the position and uh, yeah, we just have to, have to get him going, get him, get him to a certain level of fitness and we've done our best with the, with the guys who've been here before. We're not going to complain here because even though we didn't have a lot of chances, we still had the chances to win the game today so yeah in the in the end it's uh, our inefficiency at the moment that's um, that's taking a toll on us you can sense a bit the frustration from the new york city captain who has a team leading two goals with the only finish from a forward alexandru matriza who had dropped back into the midfield against Montreal in place of the injured Maxi Barales. so is the forward group tensing up is is the pressure increasing on them I wouldn't say it's it's tension. It's uh, it's about getting in the right spots and getting getting the opportunities. And at the moment, um, we're a little bit off in the last third. I think today, 
our, our defensive third, midfield third, we moved the ball good, maybe a bit slow at times, but we still had a good control. And, um, you know, it's, it's just about getting into the right positions in the final third, making the right choice. Um, maybe a little bit of luck as well sometimes, you know, that's, that's something you need to open up. In Finland, we say to open up the ketchup bottle. Uh, so we we need a. I think uh, yeah, it's it's a combination of everything. We're trying. We're gonna keep on trying, and I'm I know that it'll happen for us. And it needs to happen fast. Jeff Ruder, he covers Minnesota United for the Athletic New York City FC, playing at Minnesota on Saturday, trying to break a five-match winless streak to open the season. Uh, Jeff's been uh, covering the Loons uh, since prior to their MLS days, and we want to welcome him to the program. Hey, Jeff, how you doing, man? Good, good. You wouldn't be the first team to snap a winless streak uh, against Minnesota this year, by the way. Uh, New England was a lucky benefactor a couple weeks ago. So it's not all doom and gloom for you guys, necessarily. Well, the circumstances, though, are a little bit different. And, and plus, five games to start uh, the season on the road uh, for Minnesota because of the uh, construction, completion, and grand opening of Allianz Field. And I think it's uh, noteworthy that out of those five matches, nine points, three wins. So uh, despite New England having uh, the edge in one, uh, it, it's gone pretty well. It has gone, yeah. Uh, I'm, to be fair to Minnesota, the stadium was actually done 100% complete in early February. Uh, I think there were two reasons that they looked to open it later. Uh, the first being weather, um, hoping that if you wait until mid-April, um, there wouldn't be snow. And lo and behold, there's 6 to 12 inches forecast in the Twin Cities from Wednesday to Friday. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm so. flying in Friday morning. Am I going to get in? Uh, <laughs> ask me again on Thursday night. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's miserable, man. I mean, look, if you get there late, just crash on my couch. Totally right, fine. Thanks, I live thanks. within a mile of the stadium, so I got you. But <laughs> um, no, I mean, so that was the first part. The second part was the uh, Final Four was just in the Twin Cities. And so that uh, road show packed up and left this morning. Um, and so they didn't want to compete in the first weekend of April uh, against one of the biggest sporting events in the country. So, uh, yeah, so that's part of why it opened so late. But um, no, it's, it's gorgeous, man. I mean, I've spent uh, a lot of time there from about the, I want to say 80% mark. That's when I kind of started going once every week or two. And then now it's been almost every day for the last two weeks. And it's a, uh, it's a truly stunning venue. Well, the, it is. And I want to get into some of the specifics, but, uh, to be clear, this, this was privately funded, correct? There, there was no public tax money utilized. A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. All of it. It, I think it ballooned. The first estimate was 150 million and then it went up to 250 million. But yes, all of that was privately funded. All right. Well, that's good news. Uh, and then the, 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 as part of the, the construction, you look to the inside of it. And the first thing that strikes me is, uh, I think we all love these things, is the wall. I, I don't know if it has a name. 2,800, standing room only. And man, is it steep from the photos I've seen. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, I think, a more than a 30 degree rake. Uh, it's called the Wonderwall. Uh, Minnesota United does play Wonderwall, sing Wonderwall. The supporters do the Oasis track uh, that you either love or hate, and I've never found anyone who's apathetic to it. Uh, after every single win, so it, it's going to be the mix of all of the supporters groups, the Dark Clouds, who are the long-standing ones, True North Elite, uh, who are the liveliest fans in the stadium. Usually, you've got uh, Mill City Ultras, Dark Literati, Red Loons, da 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 da, da. But they are all part of the Wonderwall. Uh, 
uh, which has a loon's head and the iconic red eye uh, emblazoned over a blue backdrop. So it really, there isn't a bad angle <laughs> when you're standing on the field. Um, it's it's gorgeous. It truly is uh, all angles of the stadium at that point. Well, the, the supporters must be going crazy at this point to get into that stadium and get onto this wall and, and just uh, and then let it all hang out. I mean, the anticipation must be uh, must be great. It's great. Yeah, no. It's every time I think I've written increasingly for the Athletic since December. Um, pieces about the stadium and they keep reading it no one's sick of it no one wants to uh, stop hearing about it it's going to be one one group of people i think who won't be excited about the stadium though is opposing goalkeepers uh looking at where the goal is placed in regards to the stands it's only about 10 or 15 feet <laughs> that that wall is going to be directly behind the net, uh, which means that for a supporter section that is notorious for heckling goalkeepers, uh, I know of some supporters who have gotten the gloves straight off of John Bush after games, um, <laughs> have gotten uh, the likes of you know a Jimmy Mauro when he's with the Cosmos to even turn around and say something. Uh, and other MLS goalkeepers still to this day, Tim Howard included. So uh, they're going to have access to goalkeepers that very few fans do. And uh, Sean Johnson or whoever does start, if Johnson's away, uh, certainly will need to be ready for that this weekend. Well, it'll be Sean Johnson. But it, it, does, it sounds like uh, the Bank of California Stadium a bit where we've been and we noticed how close the end zones are uh, on both sides. Uh, particularly on the supporters' side, where where that wall is, is going to be uh, is going to be something. And you know, the thing is, is that you certainly want to be attacking that in the second half. So that's where uh, well, we'll take a close look at that. Uh, we're with Jeff Reuter. Uh He covers uh, Minnesota United for the Athletic. You can follow him at Jeff Reuter, which is R U E T E R. So you've got the Wonder Wall, and you've got the Brew Hall. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and what I and I think you wrote about this. I've read so many things, so forgive me if uh, this wasn't included in one of your pieces. But uh, where it's local businesses are really being supported. So is, is it locals coming in and they're running the concession in this area? Uh, yeah, there's there's going to be um, a massive local flavor. Uh, there was that was a piece that I did, yeah, two three weeks ago now, talking to former Top Chef competitor Justin Sutherland, who some foodies might be familiar with. Um, who is helping curate the food story, as they call it, of the stadium. So they're working with a lot of St. Paul and Minneapolis restaurateurs uh, to have them anchor uh, the concession stands. So instead of you just having, you know, 10 different variations of a hot dog, um, you'll have euros, you'll have um, tapas, you'll have some uh, burritos, you'll have... Um, really uh, a tremendous array of foods from local restaurants that fans will already be familiar with uh, and, and looking to support. So it's a really unique spread of food. Uh, of course, I'm just going to be at the mercy of the press box. Well, I was, just saying, I was going to say the most important follow-up to this is, are we getting the same sort of variety in the in the press box? Uh, as far as I know, it won't quite be uh, the same as like, you know, the luxury suites either, which will be catered to by James Beard winning chefs uh, every week, which is absurd. But 
what we will have, I do know, is each chef will have one signature dish for the media, and then they will still cater some sort of food up there, too. So uh, I'm as in the dark as you are, my man, as far as what we're eating this uh, weekend. All right. Well, well, we'll we'll check it out and, and, and provide our own rating on that. The uh, <laughs> So you talked about the, the the wall, the Wonder Wall, with the with the uh, the loon and the, uh, the signature red eye. There's a red seat, one red seat in the stadium. What's the significance of that? You know, it's to be determined a little bit. I know that what they're going to look to do is have it a rotating. It's not one person season ticket. It's not like the Johnson family. Luckily, the Patriarch is suddenly going to be sitting in the one red seat in the stadium. I think that every game, they're going to have a different person in that seat. They're going to announce a little bit more about what to do with it. So I've got to kind of keep my, uh, make sure I'm not taking the lid off of it too much but uh yes it will be a special point um of interest uh for that stadium all right the other thing i notice is the clock and it's it's an analog clock which you know reminds me of like a fenway park you know looking you know somebody behind there manually putting up the Mm -hmm. runs for the innings uh what is the genesis of that was this uh, something that was uh was noted because when we look at the stadium as a whole, is it, it's construction from the outside looking in, and from above, it has that European feel. So, what what was the what's the origins of this? Uh, so, the clock actually dates back to that NASL era when the team played in Blaine at the National Sports Center. Uh, they the supporters wanted. Um, a scoreboard <laughs> because at the time, I mean, as with most minor league teams, you know, it, it really does have the funding only goes so far. Yeah. And so the supporters put together and helped run this really well done scoreboard, uh, which has, I mean, as, as you see the, the, the kind of replica that was put in the stadium, uh, you know, you do have to change how many goals were scored. It's a, uh, yeah, a minute clock that's going just like any analog clock. And it's, uh, it's, it's really a good homage to the extended supporters culture who helped keep the sport alive and thriving, uh, even during some pretty uh, tenuous times during the minor leagues uh, where there were questions about if the team would survive year to year. So I think it's a really good nod to the fans in that regard. So there's uh, certainly been uh, an effort to involve the local community, uh, allow the supporters to uh, you know, play a role in some of the machinations and the things that are uh, all in regard to this stadium, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I just talked to uh, Chris Wright, the CEO of the team this morning, uh, and he said that there are 200 plus game day staff who were hired from the cities and the team had five um, uh, like hiring uh, job fairs in the Midway neighborhood itself, which is where the stadium is, to really try to encourage residents uh, to have a leg up in getting those jobs. So it, it really is a stadium that's not looking to just be planted in this neighborhood or in St. Paul, um, which is a very, very fiercely loyal city, uh, spoken by someone who lives in St. Paul. Um, it, it really is truly attempting to be, and I think it's succeeding in becoming a part of that community already, even with its launch still five, four days away. All right, we're talking to Jeff Reuter, who covers uh, Minnesota United for The Athletic, and we're spending a lot of time on this stadium, Allianz Field, and with good reason, uh, a, a bit ironic, uh, New York City FC and their supporters have been uh, waiting quite some time for some sort of stadium announcement, and uh, here we are uh, focusing on Allianz Field and New York City uh, helping to christen the field on Saturday, uh, and the snow will be gone. But I, part of the snow being gone, I guess, is that there's some elaborate heating system 
uh, beneath the field that uh, even if it snowed a foot on Friday, it sounds like the game would uh, go on without a without a, any sort of a delay or hindrance the next day. Yeah, so with the construction of the roof, it's made so that it covers the concourse. It covers the fans and the seats for the most part, I'm sure. I'm sure there'd be a little bit of wind that'll uh, adjust that. But the players are the ones feeling the elements. But when it comes to that uh, underground heating system, uh, which... Uh, the the main groundskeeper uh, Ryan Moy uh, walked me through last week over at the Athletic again. <laughs> um, that can be cranked up as high as they needed to, so they really could make it. You know, so it's a ninety five degree ground that that snow is landing on. Um, you know, you pay the heating bill just like the rest of us do, but uh, that would ensure that it all melts. And then they do have underground irrigation systems, and they do have um, you know a water uh, and, and I want to make sure environmentally friendly. Uh, system for melted water for rain whatever to go and be used um for good and not just get pushed away you know so it's really a a sharply designed stadium like that but uh yes even if it is somehow still snowing on saturday that game will be going on yeah and this groundskeeper i know you wrote something recently ryan moy uh local guy masters of agriculture and horticulture from the university of minnesota in the Mm -hmm. mid-2000s so and he worked at a local golf course, I guess one that hosted the Ryder Cup in 2016. So uh, so he's uh, you have someone with that sort of uh, knowledge. And again, local who maybe there's a little bit more pride involved here, too. And I think that there's also something to be said about the fact that it is someone from Minnesota and you're not trying to hire, you know, with the connections this team has. They could have gone out to England even and just been like, OK, you did some beautiful work with this club now the premier league has cracked down on what you can do with designs do you want to come work in mls because everyone these days is starting to get curious about how mls is um as far as lifestyle goes but the fact that they're going with someone local means that he's not afraid of snow he's not going to look at it and say like oh i don't know how to work with this um i'm going to try to fight it he's going to say okay how do we utilize this how do we take advantage of the extra water to cut down on our costs because of the snow meltage how do we look at preventing standing snow uh which he would have had to do with the golf course as well so uh yeah i think that hires like that start to show that this team is thinking a little bit outside the box while also working within their means to ensure that every little aspect of the stadium is run smoothly um with people who understand the challenges so has the team been training uh, at the stadium or occasionally what what's What's been the use? Have they been on there yet? What's going on? They, yeah, they were on there once two weeks ago last week um, for a media event, uh, just kind of the, the first training, their first impressions of it. Uh, they were going to train again this week, but it landed during the snowstorm, so they moved it back to the National Sports Center in Blaine, which is their training ground where they had, I think, a $25-plus renovation over the last two years. So, uh, yeah, they, they will still train in Blaine um when rain falls on the plane uh, no matter what but uh, yeah in general <laughs> um in general yes Allianz oh, is that is that in for game day is that in one of your stories that, that uh it is now okay. no that's I think that's, a, that's a that's a glenn crooks exclusive actually <laughs> okay. yeah well jeff let's get to the let's get to the playing field in terms of the results and how the season's going and this is the third year of minnesota united it's the fifth year of new york city fc so you have two you know expansion sides going at it here but uh, of these three road wins which i guess matches a franchise record it's just the third year but in 2017 uh three road wins but already matching that and the most recent victory two to one over the new york red bulls in uh, at red bull arena which is a notoriously difficult place 
to, to get a result. So yeah, it, it just seems like Adrian Heath has the team going in a good direction and leading into this home opener, new field, I would imagine they will be flying. They will be. And I, I think that there's a, a lot to be said as well about the attention to defense that the team put in. Uh, because, the, I mean, the big difference between, okay, last year they won one game away from home in Orlando, their second game of the season, and then they drew or lost the rest. Well, they had two draws the rest of the season, and, and then they lost 14 games road. So what's the big difference here? Well, it's Aikapara, Ozzy Alonso, two MLS Best 11 players who were brought in for this reason. Darwin Quintero out last weekend. Miguel Barra out last weekend. But you still had the defensive core there, so they were able to keep their shape. They brought in an extra center back uh, against Chris Armas' side, and they just kind of challenged uh, the Red Bulls to come at them and try to lob balls over where all three of their center backs are six foot two, <laughs> you know, and they, they kept winning the aerial battle. Um, as prolific as Bradley Wright Phillips is with the ball at his feet, he's not going to win headers over guys who are six foot two. And so they, they kind of ran into a brick wall of sorts um, on the back. But that sort of attention to defensive shape, that's a big point of emphasis for Adrian Heath this year. Ozzy Alonso obviously goes a long way to remedying that. Uh, the Slovakian international and their newest designated player, midfielder Jan Gregish, also goes a long way for that. Sometimes he plays as a number six with Slovakia behind Rushnak and... Um, whoever else is starting in the midfield that day, but uh, handshake, I think, usually. But, uh, yeah, it's been um, it's been a very different look. That win in New York was a look of Minnesota United that I've never seen from this team, especially in the last two and a half years of the Adrian Heath era. That team had resolve. That team was desperate to guard the lines, to uh, work together to keep their shape and make themselves impossible to break down rather than thinking, okay, how do we get a third goal? Um, that sort of tenacity was a new look, and I think that that's that's not it's not going to be unusual given the personnel that this team has this season. You know, and the departure of Christian Ramirez, and we uh, we've spoken once before, and uh, we we talked about that at length at the time. It was uh, it was such an emotional departure as supporters uh, in, in in many ways were were upset with uh, the decision of the club uh, to uh, to trade Ramirez. But you, this guy, Angelo Rodriguez, you take a close look at him, acquired last summer from Colombia, uh, Tolima, the, the club team there. He's a, he's a designated player, and he's produced, and, and he's a true number nine. I mean, you know, he's, got, he's 5'11", but he looks bigger than that. He plays bigger than that, size and strength, and can really hold up the ball and obviously has been productive as well. So how important has he been to the attack? Uh, I think, you know, it's it's a really good way to frame it, and whether the team likes it or not, and I know that they don't like it when I keep bringing up Christian Ramirez, but um, they uh, there was always going to be a comparison, right? You're always going to look at, here's the franchise's all-time leading goal scorer in both Major League Soccer and the NASL, and especially combined, obviously. So how are you going to replace that guy? And they bring a hold-up striker who's not a good finisher, admittedly. Um, you know, you look at him, he, there's going to be two or three chances that he'll get that he'll either drive it to an impossible angle uh, just by dribbling too much or it's going to go off frame and you hear groans across the stands because they start thinking okay what about number 21 Ramirez he would have buried that chance maybe yeah. but would he have gotten that chance and you look at the hold of play you look at the interplay with Abu Dunladi and Ethan Finley last week you look at what he's been able to do with Darwin Quintero and Miguel Ibarra other weeks with those pacey players playing off of him he really is able to send it into their paths. Uh, both goals against the Red Bulls started by Aguilar Rodriguez hold-up play in and around the box. 
that's vital. And that's the kind of stuff that Ramirez isn't able to do as well. So that was an upgrade. Now, of course, you want your striker to score goals. Do I think that he can be a 12-goal striker in this league? Uh, <laughs> he doesn't take penalty kicks. And I, I personally, I just I don't know if that's his skill set. But they don't need him to be because they have Quintero, Dunlady, Ibarra, Romario Ibarra, Finley, Kevin Molino coming back from injury, Mason Toy, the second-round pick out of Indiana, or the, the second-year player out of Indiana. They have all of these players who can score goals that if he's able to do that at an elite level, which I think, yes, he's already one of the best hold-up number nines in Major League Soccer, it goes a long way to helping that system get going. Well, and Don Lottie, you know, he had that great first year out of UCLA, and then the production really dwindled at 18. So is he back? Is he, is he the guy that Minnesota thought they were getting? Um, I don't know if he'll ever be that guy. You know, it, mm. this is a pivotal year for him, um, and it's something that I've been kind of waiting to find the right time to uh, go into deep, length with this but he did come back he's back from injury now he got the start he was pulled at halftime which was always the plan just to manage his minutes he scored a goal uh, which made the game one nil in a game that frankly was going entirely the Red Bulls way up until that goal Um, but that's what he can do he's possibly the best finisher of the ball that Minnesota's ever had I think in training especially the angles he's able to finish from the power he's able to send in the, the usage of any body part to get the ball in the net, it's better than Ramirez, better than Quintero. So if you get, keep him healthy, I think that, yes, he could become the striker they want. It's just, you know, he's already lost a year and a half due to injury, and it's, it's a big ask to really get that player to, to make good. He's still young. I think he's still 23, so there's still a, shan- a chance. But, um, yeah, it's been frustrating from them uh, on their side. They, they expected much more from him, and, and he would um, – Uh, He'll certainly be hungry to keep his spot in the lineup this weekend. All right, Jeff. Well, great scouting report, and thank you so much for all the uh, inside information on on the new stadium, Allianz Field, which will be uh, opening on Saturday. The visitors are New York City FC. They're trying to snap a five-match winless streak, while Minnesota's trying to have this grand opening for their supporters. It should be a good one. Read Jeff Reuter with the Atlantic on Minnesota United and other things around the league. Uh, it's good stuff. And follow him at Jeff Reuter. That's Jeff, R-U-E-T-E-R. Jeff, thanks so much. We'll see you Saturday. Yep, I'll see you in the line for the uh, press box food. <laughs> That's right. And a final note, this will be the second time that New York City has been the visitor for a new stadium opening in MLS. On March the 5th, 2017, Orlando City, under the direction of former City head coach Jason Kreiss, defeated the Pigeons 1-0 on a Kyle Laren goal at Orlando City Stadium. And that'll do it for this week's On Frame. Thanks for listening. This is Glenn Crooks.